I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast. The podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fighting on Film. This week we have a very special episode and we are going to be looking at Baskerfield BC. Now, this is a film that was made as a labour of love by a director called Bill Townley. Uh, it's an amateur film, but with some fantastic production values. It was restored and uh, digitised by Ray Johnson of the Staffordshire Film Archive. And he's going to be joining us uh, a little later in the episode to discuss Bill's work, the film, and the process of restoring the film. It's an important movie because obviously yeah. John, or known as Jack, uh, Daniel Baskerfield, he was born in Burslem in Stoke-on-Trent. Um, he's the only recipient of the VC. Um, from Stoke during the Second World War. You know, it's a really important movie and it's a story that, you know, as, as you'll learn later in the interview, that is important to, to the people of Stoke. I used to live in Stoke when I was at university and I actually walked past Baskerfield's statue in Festival Heights uh, retail park there and I went past it nearly every morning. So nice to know there was a film about him made. We don't think there's been a, a um, not a podcast about this movie. So we, we really are pleased we can bring it to you today. Yeah, I was very excited to stumble across the film yeah it was when we were looking at way back when we started the podcast when we were looking at theirs is the glory and we were looking for any sort of film about arnhem and rocket garden yeah and i just sort of stumbled across the Staffordshire film archives uh page for the film and i immediately ordered a copy of the dvd and i was like rob <laughs> I found this incredible film. I got a message from Matt like late one night. He's like, "You need to ch- you need to see this trailer. I, you know, you see this clip I found." And I was like, "What the hell is that from? Is that like a rush from a bridge too far or something?" He's like, oh, "No, no, no. It's this. 
you know, it's this amateur Arnhem film. You know, I've never heard of it. We need to get a copy. And it's it's an incredible sort of like feat of uh, filmmaking. Mm. And we're going to break up the normal running order uh, for the episode uh, because obviously we have the interview with Ray and we cover a lot of ground in that. Um, so we're just going to run over the plot, explain who Baskerfield actually was. Yep. Um, and then talk about the impressive amount of kit that's in this film for an amateur mm. picture. I don't think the Ali Tally's had a bounty like this for a good long while. Um, so yeah, the Ali Tally is going to be absolutely chock full. We know the story of Arnhem, fans of the pod. We love A Bridge Too Far on this pod. You know, There's Is The Glory was our first episode. Um, and in those movies, you know, you get the drop and you get a little bit of the delaying actions um, around the perimeter, who's the big perimeter, but you rarely see a movie that is based on all of that. This movie kicks off with Lonsdale organising Lonsdale Force, and then it culminates in showing you what happened to Baskerfield on the day that he won his VC, or posthumously won his VC. And that is literally the plot. I mean, there's no subplots, there's no... Yeah, outside of a little bit of um, exposition from uh, Lonsdale and um, some German officers Yep. sort of halfway through. There's just some a couple of exchanges amongst men that really are, feel quite authentic. You know, they're mm. just ordinary men. And that's another interesting element of this film. They aren't professional actors. They're no. just people that, you know, were helping Bill make this movie. Yeah. Ray told us, um, it might be in the interview, that, you know, you'd go into a pub and he said, does anyone want to help me with my film? And guys were like, yeah, yeah, cool. And they drown their pints and... Bill would give him a Denison and tell him to sit there with a Lee Enfield. It's it's really ad hoc filmmaking and it's something to be celebrated because they just don't get films like this anymore. And if you do get them, nowadays they're the sort of movies like the Shock Horror Fest, D-Day, The Battle for Omaha Beach that we absolutely sort of love to hate on the part. You know, they're the sort of amateur, amateur-ish productions that we, we read in horror at when we think about World War II films. But this one is a labour of love. Not, I don't want to say the word inaccuracies, the things it gets wrong are outweighed massively by the things it does so, so well. Yeah, so in the alley tally, we'll, we'll probably mention a couple of the interesting weapons mm. that pop up. We spot them, but they don't take us out of the no. out of the moment that, in the film. Yeah, that's, you're right there. You know, with something like those Asylum productions, they can really draw you out of it because there's no thought to any of it. Whereas in this movie, the, everything has thought behind it. There's, a, you know, Bill... God bless him. Is you can tell he's a fan of cinema. You can tell he's a a consummate mm. amateur filmmaker because he's actually thinking of, you know, how do I see, how do I sequence this shot? How do I block the shot? Everything is shot with purpose. Yeah, well, Ray's uh, been kind enough to share with us, which we'll also share as well, some of the you know notes that he'd scanned that Bill had made mm. uh, during production, and it's you know it's detailed sort of um, layouts for various shots and sequences, storyboards and. and, and storyboarding yeah. you know sketches and really interesting stuff and interestingly enough from that the film was going to be called Lonsdale Force which I think is really interesting it's still a film I would love yeah, to see mate it, it's, it sounds like an absolute gimme for a, a big budget production I think without further ado we'll go into the alley tally it's time for alley tally on fighting on film So Matt, we've got we've got quite a bit to get through on this one. Um, oh man, there's so much in this. So much. Yeah, lead us off. It's really impressive. 
So the weapons were provided for the film by Bapti, which is a famous film armorer in the UK. Um, they've done almost everything. Incredible. In this case, we have a smattering of some really interesting stuff. Um, you know, everything from MP40s to to Stens to Brens. You know, there's even a pit. Yeah, it's even a pit. Literally, like minutes in, there's a pit, and I'm, you know, and my my elation when that that pit popped up on screen was just because I was hoping, I was hoping it's it's Arnhem. I was hoping there'd be a pit. Oh yeah, and there's a, there was a pit. I think Matt was trying to get another book off the ground with that scene. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Matt fist pumped the air when he saw the pit and. I mean, we were doing that, though, weren't we? We were, we were watching. Every time we saw something, we were like, you know, oh my god, they've got, he's got this, you know, oh my god, you know, Bill got that. We were so yeah. impressed. If I had to have a pick, and we're not really doing picks this week, but if I had to have a pick, it'd be the Centurions. Oh, they're incorrect, but they're in, my god, do they steal the show? Yeah, they're like absolute showstoppers. And it, it, what's interesting, you know, the, the they're the 165th Lancers Royal Tank Regiment. So Bill got in contact with the um must have been the CEO. He went down and he got the use of three centurions and yeah, got all his footage of them driving about, shooting the main guns, all things like that. But the absolute, you know, the crowning glory of these centurion sequences is that the British army at the time let him paint iron crosses on the side of these centies. It's incredible filmmaking. And I don't think the, the British army would let you do that now. I don't think they'd let you have that unbridled access. To the, to the you can stocks. tell that they were they must have been super into it yeah, you know to, yeah. to allow a section of tanks to be used mm. in that way and you know they provide, must have provided uh, the crews some extras there was pyro yep. so you know there was like there was some I think star shells going off star shells definitely going off um, yeah, yeah. and all sorts of stuff um just we weren't expecting that. No, we so weren't. We weren't. You, you watch an amateur film and you never expect to see an actual no. tank. Yeah. Let alone three. Now, okay, they are Cold War tanks. They aren't mm. um, authentic German tanks. If you want that, go and watch Theirs is the Glory yeah, because they're there. But this, incredible. It's forgivable though, isn't it? Because you, you, you completely get lost in the movie and you can tell what Bill was going for. And that I think we'll keep coming back to that sentence is that Bill just knew what he wanted to do. Whether he might not have got the exact thing that he wanted, but he got something that was close enough. Yeah, it's representative. Yeah, and with the way that the film shot and everything, it just comes together, and you just you just can't help but love it. Well, it's the same with that bridge, the railway bridge that yeah. sort of stands in for for Arnhem Bridge. It was just like the the fact that he went to those lengths mm. to you know set up those scenes with the tanks with the bridge. Just super impressive. It really is. Um, you know, you got stens of all marks. I think is the Mark two stens, two's, three's, fives. Yeah, there's um, Matt even pointed out a, a Mark five sten with a, a sten Mark two stock, which was was quite interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, you've got Germans running around with MG forty twos, K ninety eights, MP forties get you know seen heavily. MP MP forties are blank fire as well, yeah. so you get a little bit of blank fire. There's a couple of Brens doing some blank fire, which was mm. perhaps shot while he was down doing the, yeah, the I think tanks so. perhaps I think so and uh, the, I don't know and there's definitely there's a number fours firing as well and we get that great six pounder from from Baptiste so good isn't it so good um, the way that Bill shoots that scene yeah. all those scenes yeah where he had one gun he makes it look like he is literally crawling from gun 
to, to do the to gun. gun. Yeah. You know, so he makes it look like there are two mm. six pounders. Yeah. Um, but it's just incredible that an amateur film got a, a six pounder. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, it, and the film was made for for less than a thousand pounds, which yeah. you know, obviously, a lot of money at the time. Of course. In terms of filmmaking, it's a fraction of the budget of a of a mainstream actual professional. Bridge film. too far had a was it a fifty million pound budget? Baskerville BC tells that story of the battle in a way that is sort of a microcosm, but it's very effective. And one of the things that stood out to me was the impressive cinematography. So Bill was not only director and and sort of the writer of the film, the cameraman, yeah. the sound editor, he did everything on the film. Mm. Um, and the cinematography, there's some beautiful close-up shots of MP40 firing, beautiful detail shots of a Bren mag in a stream yeah, that's been dropped. Yeah. Uh, German helmets in a in the rain. Mm. And then you get that brilliant sequence with the tanks. Yeah. Which can you imagine how daunting it must have been to know that you have like maybe one day mm. to get these shots that are going to be pivotal to your film. Mm. And you've never shot a tank. Well, you've never filmed the tank. I yeah, exactly. You've never yeah. filmed the tank before. Yeah. And the size of an actual tank, mm. you know, yeah. a tank, a tank is surprisingly large. It's just really great yeah. framing of shots. You know, in yeah. him, you know, I think, you know, Bill must have seen a lot of war films to get inspiration because, mm. you know, there were a lot of shots that would just fit into any other war movie of that time. You know, that I think we, we mentioned when we were watching it, it kind of, there's a panning shot of the German headquarters and there's a German sentry with a Nazi flag behind him. And I said, oh, that, that could be out the dirty dozen. You know, like it, yeah, he's got that that sort of yeah. close up from below. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, like a quarter angle, like establishing shot. It just it yeah, it just fits. You know, and I think, and I keep I kept saying all the way through to Matt, I was like, I wish, you know, I wish we had the opportunity. We, we you could edit up a fantastic supercut of theirs is Basky VC and mm. and um, uh, a bridge too it, far. It definitely, it definitely fills the gap between yeah. the two films. Yeah. It, I think this is in, the, in a very tidy way. It's like the, if it was a clickbait YouTube video, this would be the missing Arnhem film, you know, because yeah. it really feels like it. So before we move on um, and end the Ali Tally for this, we can go into our interview with Ray. I don't think it'd be fair um, to <laughs> ignore the Ali Tally's or to, to ignore Matt's um, love child, which is a Sterling that features heavily. <laughs> So it, it was bizarre. It was a very surreal moment when the two things that I sp I've spent a lot of time in the last few years researching appear in the same frame. It's so good. It was just surreal. So there was a pit just sat there with a bomb in the tray, yep. a couple of lads chatting next to it, and then next to one of them, to Sterling. Sterling submachine gun, completely ahistorical for the of course, period. Yeah, yeah. But nonetheless, I appreciate what they were trying to sort of do I, I kept annoying. do with it you know did, did how many how many stands could you get your hands yeah, on exactly. for an amateur film i kept annoying matt because i kept saying oh look it's the patchet from the osprey book <laughs> that's a very obscure <laughs> reference but if you know it you know it, it um, um but yes yeah, stellings were not on no they weren't no that's the that's on record <laughs> that's on record the, the only things that sort of irk me were they're not really that bad was blinking you'll miss it shots where some lads have Webley air rifles. They're in a slit trench. Yeah, you know the break ones you break and you kind of pump them to make them work. Yeah, everyone knows what yeah. they, they look like, I assume. Um, and then one guy had forty-seven pattern battle dress on. 
but that was that's only a really really small thing you know everyone's dennis and dark they've all got their hate there stats. is one chap that walks by by with a an slr yeah self-loading rifle yeah, that's a definite blink in your miss right at shot. the end there's there's some there's some um there's some scenes where you, you wonder like you could have cut that out but anyone anyone that isn't us watching it would have gone that's completely legit you know it it, it looks real and it's what he had on hand so it's again it's forgivable yeah and i think making a movie like this is you, you're making it for people who are going to appreciate the subject matter so hmm. and in the end it's the story that matters it's the, most. the story of what he did so if you don't mind uh, matt before we go into the interview this week i'd like to read um baskerfield's citation in full yeah definitely great idea on the 20th of september 1944 during the battle of arnhem lance sergeant baskerfield was the nco in charge of a six pounder anti-tank gun at Oosterbeek. The enemy developed a major attack on this sector with infantry, tanks and self-propelled guns, with the obvious intent to break into and overrun the battalion position. During the early stage of the action, the crew commanded by this NCO was responsible for the destruction of two Tiger tanks and at least one self-propelled gun. Thanks to the coolness and daring of this NCO, who, with a complete disregard for his own safety, allowed each tank to come well within 100 yards of his gun before opening fire. In the course of this preliminary engagement, Lance Sergeant Baskerfield was wounded in the leg and the remainder of his crew were killed or badly wounded. During the brief respite after this engagement, Lance Sergeant Baskerfield refused to be carried to the regimental aid post and spent his time attending to his gun and shouting encouragement to his comrades in the neighbouring trenches. The enemy renewed the attack with even greater ferocity than before. Under cover of intense mortar and shell fire, manning his gun quite alone, Lance Sergeant Baskerfield continued to fire round after round at the enemy until his gun was put out of action. By this time, his activity was the main factor in keeping the enemy tanks at bay. The fact that surviving men in his vicinity were held together and kept in action was undoubtedly due to his magnificent example and outstanding courage. Time after time, enemy attacks were launched and driven off. Finally, when his gun was knocked out, Lance Sergeant Baskerfield crawled under intense enemy fire to another six-pounder gun nearby. With his gun, he engaged an enemy self-propelled gun which was approaching to attack. Another soldier crawled across the open ground to assist him, but was killed almost at once. Lance Sergeant Baskerfield succeeded in firing two rounds at the self-propelled gun, scoring one direct hit, which rendered it ineffective. Whilst preparing to fire a third shot, he was killed by a shell from a supporting enemy tank. The superb gallantry of this NCO is beyond praise. During the remaining days at Arnhem, stories of his valour were a constant inspiration to all ranks. He spurned danger, ignored pain, and by his supreme fighting spirit, infected all those who witnessed his conduct with the same aggressiveness and dogged devotion to duty which characterise his actions throughout. I mean, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And that is... that is It's one of the most impressive VC citations that mm. you can, you know, you can imagine. And that is exactly what Bill's film portrays. If you want to know the plot of the film, that VC citation is it. Every single beat's hit. I think, you know, now we'll segue into our conversation with Ray. So the first question we had was, how did you hear about Bill? How did you meet Bill? Well, I've known Bill for many years uh, mm. as, a, as a local filmmaker. Uh, and um, so he, he was uh, a friend and I knew of the film. I hadn't actually seen it, but he'd made lots of local films uh, mm. with uh, railways and uh, 
some little dramas and whatever. So I've always, uh, and he always liked talking about film. And he always liked to try the latest movie cameras and uh, lenses and whatever. And he got into uh, filming in 3D. Wow. But then he got into uh, trying to film in cinemascope. Now we're talking about eight millimeter film. Yeah. Eight millimeter film. It's a quarter of an inch across. So the picture you see on Baskerfield is literally on film, which is a quarter of an inch across. That's how small eight millimeter is. Mm. And yet he made this film uh, and it has all the trappings of a feature film artistically, as well as just the, the film format. But he's constructed such a, a powerful film with his passion. It's nice that he does the voiceover yeah. uh, right at the end. And he, he says that final piece so brilliantly. It's just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we decided to have a go at it. First thing was to capture it with Bill showing it. And mm. that entailed some stops, as it often did when he showed it you know, to get back, get back in sync and start again. And we spent a day doing that. Was it spread uh, over then, a couple of reels? Or was it on it just one reel? One, no, no, it is one giant reel. Wow. And it's eight mil film and the reel is that. Because diameter. it's quite, it's, it's not a short film, so it's not something, you know. It's an, it's an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. And it's all on one reel. Mm-hmm. And his projector, he built long arms on it to take this one oh, giant pull the reel. reel. So he couldn't <laughs> wow. show it on any other projector because it is one giant reel in its own box. And that's now safely in the film archive oh, in good. a film store. Uh, but so was the soundtrack was one giant reel of tape. Well, it did fit on the sort of large largest reel you can get for tape. So it can, because mm. uh, it wasn't running at a speed that broadcasts, broadcasters then use seven and a half inches a second, then it became 15 inches a second. So the, it was going quite, it was a domestic speed, three and three mm. quarter inches. So the soundtrack could be captured on a standard, the largest reel you could get for mm. quarter inch. So it could project right through in one. Um, and it was just fascinating to sit I sat behind where he was operating so I could see what he was doing. Um, uh, and I put it to him and we went with it and had a great time doing that. And while I actually took the film down to uh, the film clinic in Soho and left it with them. When did you, when did you take the film to be cleaned and, and restored? I'm looking at the files I've got, like, like those files, I, the cuttings I sent you. Yeah. And the, 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 those scans are dated 2009. That was the 40th anniversary of the film being first shown. Mm. Yeah, one of the, the pieces mentions made, that, yeah. The film was made between, in 1967, 1968, 1969. Uh, and that was, I think, a, another great reason for doing it. And we had a... Uh, you know, a preview, uh, well, a premiere showing in 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 the the main cinema auditorium in the museum. We looked packed out, you know. But we've since uh, since and then went on to do further and get a proper digitization. Mm. Um, the first thing I had to do was his projecting, projecting, recording the. Screen. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Green, just, just so that I've got a, a reference for synchronizing. Right. And, and when you think of the way he did it and what was available to filmmakers then, mm. amateur filmmakers, there was very little equipment around where you could film and record sound in sync at the same time. It was only in the 60s that you could, with 16 mil film, do that, uh, with the, the new Ariflex camera that came in the late 50s, and there was one in the country. And then from the camera was an umbilical cord to a separate recorder, and it, it recorded and kept a, a, a sync by pulses, which didn't come through audibly. Mm. And this made some great films, and some of the uh, big filmmakers of the 60s were trying this out. So his three years, very roughly, were formed of a year actually making the film yeah. in all the different parts. And it's, it took him months to actually get it all done. And you've heard him talk about how he grabbed extras out of pubs and got yeah. people into uniforms and managed to per persuade, went down to a Salisbury Plain to get the, the use of some tanks and armaments and... And uh, he, he could hire a gun from Baptist, as you could then, to, to bring here at Teen and get out into a field and actually fire rounds and so on, which you couldn't do today. We just think it's, a, it's an incredible labour of love. It is. So the first year he, he got it in camera visually. The second year was taken with post-recording all the voices again mm. while people were watching the clips of film. Sometimes it wasn't the original person, most of the time it was the original person, to get all the po sound recorded post-production, all of it, every moment of it is done away from, uh, months after the filming. Mm. And then the third year was actually editing it all together. Wow. It so he was his own Foley artist as well, and, and he did everything. Own Foley artist, he, he, he did a lot. Um, wow. And, and that's the amazing thing. But he could do that by working piecemeal. He was a full-time painter. He was a he had a mm. job as mm. a house painter and whatever. He was working all the time. Uh, and all this was in, in his spare time. But um, when we came on onto it and it started to come together, the, the very final stage, I kept him informed, but it, it, there's nothing he could do. But at every stage, he got copies of, you know, some test copies. Yeah, I yeah. ran a test where I split the screen showing, you know, the first, just the analogue recording to, to get it down, to synchronise with sound, and the final digitisation and the 
suddenly the, the sun came up as as cinema projectionists used to say when the picture was going down they had to wind the carbon in to get the arc up and the and the, the picture would come bright again if they weren't paying attention and they used to call that oh the sun's come up now and the difference when it, it all came shining bright with the digitization it's interesting that every join in it is in the film there's no you can see every join if you look for mm. it i've actually teased out in the final edit a lot of those joins because it's an overlap of film that disturbs the picture because you can see an edge go across the yeah, yeah. And it traps mm. a bit of dirt in it yeah. as well with the glue uh, to cement it together um, so i did a little bit of uh, cleaning up and then i spent a long time resynchronizing it that's every voice to get it because he could only he could never perfectly synchronize it in one showing mm. it was never perfect yeah but what i could do is actually try and get it as close as possible with with the actual speaking and just edging things up and put a bit of a gap there so it really worked followed it um and uh also all the uh, gunfire explosions could be absolutely spot on mm -hmm. whereas with with the original film it was very much sort of bang, <laughs> yeah. bang. you know there was these moments you know it makes you wonder you know if if he'd if he'd been a young man now and had all the technology we have now you know what could he have accomplished on a on an 800 pound budget that he had you know you'd probably come up yeah. with something truly phenomenal if you, if that passion's there yeah. You know, it doesn't matter when yeah. you're making something, if the passion's there and you can push for that kind of thing. But making it piecemeal makes it practicable. Mm. That's what he did. He had the patience to do it and stay with it. He did his wonderful storyboards you've seen. It, you know, it was all planned. Mm. But it was planned moment by moment. Uh, and uh, it was put together moment by moment. But when you look at the landscape of the film and the textures... Uh, and the profile of the film. Mm -hmm. It does what real films do. It has the, the low section, the quiet section, the build, the action, the, the sort of hymn to the peace, the hymn to the fallen kind of yeah. moments, the moments where we're looking at rabbits in a wood and it's the calm before a storm and whatever. And the, the epitaph at the end, the epilogue, is just so nicely done. It um, and he, he just easily says it. He's not an actor. And a lot of these people weren't actors. You have to realise that. Mm. I noticed that just reading that review from the movie maker uh, uh, again, and I've had a, a film with the music, a movie maker when I won a, a best 10. Uh, oh, right. Wow. One of the best 10 in the country. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, he picks out the German scene in front of a, a local house. Mm. Uh, where they're not particularly good actors and it's not particularly well synchronized but that was it 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 there's a great power in using um <clears throat> non-actors yeah you look at people like ken loach people like using non-actors mm. well, well what struck us when we first watched it was you know we went into it expecting we'd read some comments about you know saying it was a little bit um low budget etc so we went into it expecting, you know, nothing too great, just a, a little amateur piece. But we we were we went in we went into it open minded. Yeah. But 
we were blown away really weren't we Rob yeah we really were like, just you know the, the the level of detail that that Bill went to and you turn a corner and there's a you know a full-sized tank or you know yeah. there's an actual six pounder it's not the kind of thing you expect to see in you know a film of its time and, and of its budget and it seems to be peopled with a lot of tanks I think having been very close to it, you can work out he got three tanks. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Three tanks look like a battalion. But yeah. he, he had uh, permission to paint on the side of them. And, exactly. Uh, I whatever. couldn't believe that. Yeah. And, uh, but the sound recording, he got the sound, the sounds. I mean, I, you know, when you, you have to look for sound effects, if, if you're filming on location, I had to film some reclamation and there were bulldozers and whatever. There was no way I could take a sound. Crew, it was a bit precarious, let's say. Mm. Um, so I was filming mute, uh, but my best, um, what what sounded best to me for this bulldozer was a recording of a World War One tank, because it was the same tracks, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, but he did, he'd got the tanks there, so he, he managed to get all the real recording of these actual machines. Uh, and uh, I just, uh, and he had real explosives and whatever. Yeah, it, it was just. A, but then it's interesting that then there's a, a scene where a tank goes past and two two of the soldiers duck behind a wall and mm. you see the turret going. And it's a it's a vehicle. It's a car with a bit of pipe and a and a fake end of a, a barrel, yeah. <laughs> which is what you do in movies. Yeah, you yeah. know. I, I watched The Deer Hunter a couple of nights ago, which is a fabulous film, and I saw the first glimpse of the deer they find on the mountain. You could just see its horns. You think, there's a bloke just behind that rock. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you know it, because this is movies, you know, mm -hmm. and, 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 and you can do those things. And even when they had to return the gun, uh, even the, uh, the stock end of the gun, where, where he has to do some refilling, it, that was sort of... A, patched together because mm. the gun had gone back because it yeah. was hired yeah. and he, as you know he only hired one gun to serve as the uh, as the two guns the thing was it was correct for what it was saying and what it was portraying uh, and he was gravely wounded and although you 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 can criticize small things on the acting it you you you're involved in it mm. it's suspension of disbelief you're in it the fact that he actually stopped tanks, he held up that advance along that particular road towards which he did do it, uh, and in, in the end, single handed. Uh, uh, it's, it, it was the awesome. action itself is phenomenal, so it's no wonder that Bill, you know, obviously became so fascinated by it. It's clear to you know see that he obviously was knowledgeable and he did a lot of research into that. Yeah. Do, you, do you know anything about his process for that? Basically, he did the research locally, but he was working with uh, Jack Baskerfield's, although he was John Daniel Baskerville, he was known as Jack, uh, right. working with his sister. Right, right. And he got the stories through the family, he involved the family, and they'd got all the, the paperwork. The, his skill in, in finding locations around Stoke-on-Trent uh, and being able to use atmospheric things like smoke mm. in background to disguise uh, the outline of a factory that he went to these lengths yeah. you know that amount of detail there's a it's the attention to detail i think that me and matt were blown away by you know we're really big advocates for films being made of these actions because it's an accessible means for people to get mm. into the history this is unique because it shows lunsdale force 
fighting yeah. their delaying actions at Oosterbeek. Yes. And that yeah. in itself is remarkable. And I think it's great. Yeah. Because we're obviously taken with the spectacle of the, the parachute drops and, uh, mm. and all that, uh, which was, you know, overshooting, going to a different location. So it, it's part of the story and it's part yeah. of the, the jigsaw puzzle that was Arnhem, you know. But it is a part of the story that the, say, the, the, the bigger feature films wouldn't yeah. engage with. Yeah, yeah they a, don't. It's a great link between theirs is the glory and, and a bridge too far. I think I think it's the perfect mm. link between the two. I think that theirs is the glory when when you when you see in that that these were men that had been there the year before. Mm. It was mm. made just a year afterwards, mm. and these were men uh, that had been there before, and they weren't actors. And of course, the the, the South Staffords were in, involved, and these were our local people. Mm. In, involved in it. it it touches a lot of people uh locally yeah. and um he is he is remembered we have schools named after him we've got memorials to him we've got a wonderful statue to him you must have seen yeah um i used to live in burslem all oh, right <laughs> staffordshire university and i lived in burslem and i went past it every morning on the way to uh union well, one, one of the uh, one of the sculptors of that statue sculpted the statue of arnold bennett Right, yeah. I, I worked 10 years to get achieved, mm. and I actually sat for, and that statue, the head is Arnold Bennett, the rest of the body is me doing the sitting. Oh, wow. So, so that was another uh, statue. Wow. Yeah. But Bill did document all the work on making the statue. He documented everything. Mm. Uh, and that's what was great about him for me, that we've got so much surrounding the film uh, the uh, supportive filming that Bill uh, did. I've had uh, students from Staffs University interviewing him. Mm -hmm. Go and talk to Bill. You want to go and talk to, uh, talk yeah. to Bill? <laughs> and getting wonderful interviews with him. Yeah. And we've been back, obviously, to the locations and talked about Yeah, that, that documentary's on the DVD, isn't it? That's it's, right. And gives uh, a real insight uh, into some of the locations. Mm. Well, uh, one of them is you see a lot on television, Heath House. Yeah. It's been on television, it's been mm. used as a Victoria house in Sherlock Holmes and Miss Marple and uh, near to it, it's not, not next to it, but near to it, it has this Dutch barn, which he used in the film because it was a sort of not like a standard English built barn, it had mm. got yeah. that sort of shape, so he, he made something of that. Uh, and he used houses with certain detail, wooden detail on the front mm. that didn't look very English. You know. It's that attention to detail that lifts yeah. the film, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and the fact that there's, you know, he found that bridge that looks a little bit like Arnhem Bridge. And he found a bridge which really is only over a local train line and it's not the size of the Arnhem Bridge because Arnhem is in the lower reaches of the Rhine. It's, it's wide. Yeah, it's it quite there. It's not far from the sea by the time it gets to Arnhem. Uh, and here we've got something over something over a local railway line or something. Mm. Well, it did carry a railway over a stream. But it, it it has the look of the bridge, and you get the you get the vibe, you get the feel. Yeah, you do. Uh, and uh, and and that was, and he had to clear all the rubbish and the weeds away and do it. But that's that's show business. You exactly. know, <laughs> it's just all that work just to get these shots, and you can't show the. You can't show the ground in the shots because it's it's rough territory. The only thing, the only giveaway is when the, he brings a jeep across it and it's bouncing around. You know, we believed everything because we yeah. we were so engrossed in the story. And I think 
that's the one great thing the film does because it's made of this love and attention to detail that yeah. you can forgive little bits and things here and there you know we 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 were even saying that that wing that's a horse a wing isn't it that's a bit of a horse a glider there and then we listen to the bill saying oh you know i've got on a a, a bus with this massive bit of like plane and i painted it up to look like a horse a glider and we're like wow who would do that no one would do that now they'd cgi it in it looked you know but now it's like wow you know it's just it's just incredible feat of filmmaking but I think he, the fact that he tackled everything himself, it was like a, he was like a one-man army, yeah. doing all this, dragging that wing here and doing that there, and people helping him, and people wanted to help him, people yeah. wanted to help him, uh, and uh, we, we still see Richard Cresswell, who played uh, uh, Jack Baskerville, yeah. still see him. He's a, a local businessman, a dealer. He actually also uh, collects vintage lorries. And so if you want oh. to borrow a vintage vehicle, Richard Jumat, oh, wow. you know. So he's probably got a bed with Rob. Oh, that'd be beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ray, yeah. did, did Bill ever give you any insight into, you know, what made him want to make the film? Because it's clearly a, a passion project, Labour of Love. Yes. Is it just local pride? Just, you know... I think it's his local prize, but he thought Jack Baskerfield was neglected. Mm. In the first trailer, the first interview I did with him, which is on a compilation of mine, uh, The Potteries at War, where he's talking about, I wanted to say, but nobody talked about Baskerfield and this, he was forgotten. I had to get it, and the way he talks, he talks with great passion. I don't know if that's mm. on the, uh, an extra on the- yeah, is, yeah. I, can, I, can, I can get the feel from, you know, the discussion you have in the documentary comes across he was stoke-on-trent's only vc in world war ii mm. i mean blimey i mean there were several vcs uh, at armor but he he was the only one from stoke-on-trent but it was very personal it was very personal that bill could be in contact with the family uh, get an insight into jack the person you know jack the man jack yeah. the lad because <laughs> uh, he was not he was a young he was a young man mm. uh, and to, to go into that and to, to to do all that it was absolutely amazing but so he's he's been a, a one-man tribute at, in his own right bill to the memory of uh, john baskefield it's an important effort to tell a story that's important not only to military history but to a town and to a, you know, important a to us, county it's important to have involved local people mm. who wanted to be involved and yeah. are proud to have been involved uh, and talk about it. And it's half a century ago. You know, it, it, it's still something in their lives that is, was worth doing and it was done well. Oh yeah, what kind of what kind of man is Bill? I mean, you know him quite well, but absolutely, it, it, it seems he has you know is, is a great heart, sense of purpose. The heartiest, friendliest man you know. As I say, he, he's 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 very very ill at the moment, but he phones me up and says, "I've got some books for you. Call round, I'll give you some books." And so he likes giving me books, film books, uh, and if I've got anything, I'll drop them round to him. I, I hope you'll pass on our regards to him as well and, and yes, tell him that we appreciate the film and you know we find we found it absolutely fascinating. It's his master work mm. and he'll be remembered for it. But I remember him for smaller films and other things. But he will do things for you and nothing's a problem. Uh, and he's a doer uh, and an involver, fulfilled guy 
that can look back uh, with, with pride yeah. on all the sorts of things he's he's done. It's just that it will always be this film will always be his masterpiece um, because that's his masterwork, and it is a powerful film, and it is a very very important film. It definitely is. Thanks so much for joining us, Ray. I mean, it's it's been it's been lovely to get some insight into Bill and the film, and obviously speaking to yourself, it's it's really brought you know brought the film to life for us, and we, yeah. we've got a bit more of an insight into everything that Bill, you know, all the yeah. lengths that Bill went to to make it. So it's been it's been lovely to have you on. Thank you so much. Yeah, I love him to bits, and he deserves that. I'm so pleased that you're interested in his film, uh, and we're go- we're doing this tribute to him. It is a tribute to the film, and it's a tribute to Bill. What a great interview with Ray. We're really thrilled that he agreed to come on and talk to us. So, I mean, final thoughts on the movie? It's just really effective. Mm. It's an amateur film. Yep. But the scope and scale that that Bill manages to capture, yeah, um, with the limited budget, and it was shot over three years. I think Ray mentioned that in of itself. It's the supreme passion project, and it's such an important story for someone from the area, you know, Stafford, um, to tell that story of of, of Baskerfield. You know, he's the only BC that's been won, as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Um, from the region, and it's a local story that's that should be remembered by not only the people local, but more broadly. And I think Bill did a great job at portraying that bravery on on screen. Yeah, it's an important. I think it's an important film in the in the genre of war movies because it's an amateur film. It's done so well. It's got so much going for it. And then you know, I'm just really pleased we've been able to share it with all the FOF listeners, and it is available online to buy. Um, quite in the UK, um, under fifteen pounds on DVD. You know, we would implore you to go out. Highly and recommend it. Implore you to go out and buy a copy. Um, you establish a film archive. We'll we'll link it. It might be a bit difficult to watch this one, but we we'd love it if you sort it out because we think it's a very important film. And Bill, you know, is one of those one of those filmmakers that needs to be heralded. And we're, I'm really pleased we had the opportunity to do so. I'm so glad we found it. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad that it still exists. You know, I'm glad that Ray saved it and that we can discuss it on the podcast. Hear, hear. So thanks once again for listening. This has been a bit of a different episode, but no less an important one in the world of war movies. Um, and yeah, we'll be at We Have Ways Fest, War Fest. Um, we'll be there this weekend if you're listening. If you're there, say hi to us. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe as always. You can support us on Patreon. And uh, check us out on fightingonfilm.com. Thanks very much again. Bye-bye. Bye.